Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 866, with Philip Mosley. I think the biggest thing was reaching out to other people, understanding that we don't know everything and we probably never will, which is kind of around the same time I think the mentorship part of Blue Oak really stepped in. We started calling people, you know, the industry is so, so warm for the most part that there are so many people willing to answer our phone calls and just let us pick their brains for, for hours on end probably throughout the course of maybe a couple months. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Today's episode is brought to you by Chow Now, a commission-free online ordering system and food ordering app helping restaurants feed their hungry customers. Over 20,000 restaurants trust Chow Now for their online ordering, and this is because Chow Now helps their restaurants keep their profits, own their online experience, meet their customers everywhere, and make every diner a regular. With Chow Now, take unlimited commission-free orders through Chow Now's app and site, and there are no setup fees or monthly payments. And what I really love about Chow Now is that you get to own your customer data. This is something not all third-party ordering apps can claim. And when you schedule a demo, don't forget to ask about leveling up with Chow Now Direct, Chow Now's comprehensive online ordering and marketing package. Because you are Restaurant Unstoppable listeners, you can enjoy 30% off the Chow Now Direct annual plan. Sign up today at chownow.com slash unstoppable. That's chownow.com slash unstoppable. Today's episode is brought to you by Seven Shifts. Seven Shifts is a modern labor management platform designed by restaurateurs for restaurateurs. And I have to say, I haven't come across a restaurateur using Seven Shifts that hasn't been completely satisfied. Trusted by over 500,000 restaurant professionals, Seven Shifts gives you the complete toolkit you need to easily manage your team's schedules, timesheets, communications, tasks, tips, and more all in one place. And because you are restaurant unstable, Unstoppable listeners, you get three months absolutely free. Get started at www.7shifts.com slash unstoppable. That's the number seven, S-H-I-F-T-S dot com slash unstoppable to get three months of industry leading labor management for free. Today's episode is brought to you by Talk to the Manager. Nowadays, people don't want to speak face-to-face. They rather communicate via text message and keep it anonymous. Talk to the Manager allows guests to share feedback or ask questions in a way that makes them feel comfortable and is convenient to you. And I think the most valuable aspect of Talk to the Manager is that you give people an opportunity to vent before they go public and write a negative review. Sometimes people just want to be heard and talk to the manager gives them that opportunity to be heard. Plus, you don't have to worry about your information being shared. Customers won't see your personal phone number, just the phone number that Talk to the Manager provides. Also, with Talk to the Manager, it's like having a secret shopper. People will tell you any issues they come across at your restaurants, whether you want to hear them or not, but they'll be brought to your attention and that will help you improve your business. Show your guests you care enough to listen with Talk to the Manager. Head to talktothemanager.com slash unstoppable to sign up for your 60-day trial. 
What up, Unstoppables? We have a great show for you today, but a quick reminder that this podcast does need your support. And one thing I'm going to start doing more of in the future, something I need to be better about, is letting you know how you can support this show. One of the best ways you can support this show is by using my affiliates. And this quarter's affiliates, I don't know how long I'm going to do this, but I want to bring a lot of attention to Bento Box because honestly, I'd be telling you about Bento Box regardless of whether or not they're paying me a commission. And on top of that, if you use my links, I can save you 100% off installation to give you an idea of how much money that can be. One of my most recent uh, affiliate link clickers, whatever you want to call it. So a listener used my link and they saved $1,500 on installation because they use my link. So not only am I telling you about tools I would already be telling you about, but I'm also helping you guys out. I'm saving you money and you're supporting the show. This is a win, win, win situation. Uh, so if you are in the market for a new restaurant website, I highly recommend Bento Box. Uh, like I said, I would tell you about this regardless of whether they're paying me a commission and I can save you up to a hundred percent off installation. And that's some good money. So, uh, it's a no brainer. If you're in the market for a restaurant website, head over to restaurantstoppable.com slash eight, six, six front and center, right in the show notes. I will have an affiliate link right there. Bento box waiting for you. Click that link, set up a demo, support the show. Thank you in advance. Today we're talking to man two. well, this is the first of two interviews. I'm talking to the boys over at blue Oak barbecue, Philip Mosley and Ronnie Evans. Today, we're focusing on Philip's side of the story, and I love it when I get to have uh, two founders who were a part of this thing from the very beginning, and Philip and Ronnie go way back to childhood friends, Uh, and I get both perspectives of the story this week and next week, so a little bit more about Philip Mosley. He is a graduate of Louisiana State University. He, uh, after graduating, got involved in the coffee business. That didn't last too long before he reconnected with his high school buddy, Ronnie Evans, and they kind of apprenticed slash came up through a barbecue franchise. They thought about maybe opening this franchise. They decided not to, but they brought their lessons back to New Orleans where they got to work on their own barbecue concept, Blue Oak Barbecue. And these guys grinded from 2012 to basically 2017 when things really started to pick up for them. Uh, They were living at home, taking whatever gig they could take, scraping to get by, and man, is it paying off for them. But this is just a story of uh, dedication, commitment, slow and steady growth, showing up, and sacrifice. And if you guys don't pick up on that, I don't know. Like this, is, this will leave you feeling like you can conquer the world. This was a great episode. Here he is, Philip Mosley. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, co-owner of Blue Oak, Philip Mosley. Phil, you're feeling unstoppable today. Feeling unstoppable. Yeah, man. I cannot wait to dive into your story. I think this, I love your story. I love when I see people start small and scale big over time. It's the safest way. And I don't want to give away too much, but let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you got for us? Uh, I think the one I got might come from Henry Ford, I believe. And it was whether you can or cannot, I think it's up to you. Yeah. Whether you can or you can, whether you think you can or you can't, you're right. I think you're right. The there you yeah. go. Yeah. And basically, I think the meaning behind it is is your mentality determines your success or failure. 
perceptions reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so true. And I think that there's a lot of truth associated. I talk about this a lot because I think it's really powerful. This idea that your frontal lobe, if you turn that thing, if you, if you say no, it mm. shuts off because our brains are designed to conserve energy. And it takes yeah. a lot of energy to think. So your brain will conserve energy. But if you say it, it is possible, then your brain kicks into hyper gear and it gets it just solves problems and it creates yeah absolutely so great way to get this thing started and i mean where does it make sense to start sharing your story when did you know you wanted to open a restaurant well um you know i've kind of been thinking about this question and i probably would start with the love for food maybe i think that probably comes from home um i was fortunate to have really great parents and my mom cooked every single night for us so i got to appreciate early on you know watching her cook and and even replicating you know grandma's recipes and whatever it might have been um you know and then i guess fast forward a little bit my uncle um he had a restaurant in brazil in sao paulo which is where my mom my mom's side of the family's from i think it was called la rochelle and uh and i thought it was like when i went in there for the first time, I thought it was the coolest thing ever. What was so cool about it? It kind of, it was kind of like walking into a movie, like like Goodfellow or Casino or something. You know, I, I walked in, my my uncle's smoking a cigarette. You know, he's got a big coat on and just kind of running through running through the restaurant. You know, just making things happen. I thought it was, it just kind of blew me away. I thought it was awesome. Yeah. And um, fast forward a little bit longer. You know, I met my partner Ronnie in actually fifth grade and for some reason you know we got to high school we kind of always talked about opening a restaurant and oddly enough we always sort of mentioned the idea of a barbecue restaurant it was either that or a bar i think um what were those conversations like what what sparked these conversations of let's open a restaurant were you guys you know, both I like think, cook like home cooks no not at all um not at all i mean i did i did dabble but you know never went to culinary school or anything like that and um, I think it was just an idea. And at the time his brother-in-law was working, I think for Emerald, which was kind of cool for us to see. We go to the restaurant, they take care of us. And, and, uh, and I think he also always had an appreciation for food. So I think it just kind of stemmed from there. Um, and how did you guys meet? Like, where did this friendship start? Was it like a school or what? Yeah. Okay. Fifth grade, um, elementary school friends ever since nice i love it we broke up for for high school <laughs> and college but got back together shortly after oh man did you steal yeah. his ball or something no i don't know what it was <laughs> um that's funny but yeah he he started working in a barbecue restaurant actually in college and i think it was probably his senior year he went to alabama and um i was at lsu and i was fortunate enough to get a job at a school at a international coffee importer here on on the port of new orleans before this this is when you grab after you graduate mm-hmm. when, when you're in school or was it during college or after college after okay did you work in restaurants before this briefly summers i worked at uh i was a bus boy at joey k's okay on magazine here in, here in new orleans did that inspire was there i mean what what is joey k's it's uh it's a family owned restaurant been here a long time kind of a Cajun Creole, like very New Orleans style food. Yeah. Was this just a job for you at this point or is it more? Yeah, pretty okay. much. But it, it taught me 
it kind of showed me a lot of the behind the scenes that I never knew about. Did you still want to open a restaurant after getting a real? You know, honestly, I don't even know if I really thought about it at that point. Um, it looked like a lot of work (laughs) and everybody was hustling and, and, you know, but it kind of gave you, gave me a little perspective on, on what it takes to run a restaurant because I was friendly with the family that owned it. Yeah. Um, but you know, I never really, I don't think at that moment I was thinking about it too much. Were were there any like clues that was there reflecting back at it? Did you enjoy it? Did you, were you having fun? Yeah, I had a blast. Okay. What did you like about it? I used to mess around, you know, I was kind of, I was always cutting up, distracting people, which is probably not the, (laughs) not the best thing for, uh, for that environment. But yeah, I had a blast. It was always, you know, meeting new people, different people, um, from all kinds of walks of life, you know, it was, it was always a fun and never a dull moment type of environment, which yeah. I think just kind of sort of sucked me in. So you go to the Louisiana State, uh, sorry, Louisiana State University, LSU. Uh, what were you focusing on? What was your major? Um, started out at International Business, which was kind of why I got that internship with that coffee company. Okay. Switched to Poli Sci somewhere or along the middle and uh thought I was going to be an attorney go to law school I uh, wasn't thinking clearly <laughs> I could have never lasted um and then luckily I got that job out of school with the same coffee company and kind of stuck around for about a year um, so I am kind of curious so what is the difference between business versus international business what are the things that you're learning in international business that you don't learn in you know I don't know I didn't I didn't learn a whole lot <laughs> <laughs> I love the honesty I, uh, how much yeah. was your college degree? <laughs> but I have thoughts on college. I, I just don't know if it's yeah. worth it anymore. Honestly, it's so expensive, but I going. hear you. Yeah. Sorry to ask you personal question. No, it's all good. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I, I got that job out of school and, and now at that same moment, Ronnie was working at a barbecue joint in, in, uh, Alabama kept calling me all the time. Like, Hey man, you know, this could be our chance. Like, Let's go come here, learn, um, you know, learn the ropes and maybe we, we can open our own. Finally, after about a year of, of, of bugging me, I kind of sat back and realized, you know, I was, wasn't too happy with the other job. You know, it was, it was sitting down in a cubicle type scenario, nine yeah. to five. Um, and I was always more of like an outgoing, you know, I, I liked action, I liked moving and, I and, that. uh, yeah. What did your parents think of this decision? That was that was a big, big elephant in the room for a while, yeah. um, because I I assumed that they were gonna think I was an idiot. You know, I was fortunate to get a job out of school, and it was a great one. Did um, your parents pay for your education, or did you pay? for They it? did. Yeah, okay. I was super lucky um, to have great parents, and and not to get too ahead of ourselves, but um, in the beginning, and which is probably a huge reason why we're successful, is. Uh, is because they were they allowed me to stay home for so many years, mm. saving money up for the restaurant. Um, I mean, it's not too. I mean, we. Can, I'm sure that'll be a part of the story. But I mean, I think I think this is something that's really important. I think pride can get in our way, and um, when you're opening a restaurant, you do whatever you can to eliminate your liabilities. So I'm talking things like rent. Uh, you know, if you if you can if you have the support system around you swallow your pride yeah you know oh, like I mean, swallow your pride and, and do what you got to do to minimize your liabilities yeah. i don't think there's any way we could have survived i mean we did we did some of the math 
a while back and I think for, for a few years we were averaging like $2 and 15 cents an hour, something like that. That's crazy. So we were super lucky to be able to live. He and Ronnie stayed with his parents as well. But, um, just that ability to save up was, was crucial for, for where we are today. So let's go back. Uh, We did get a little ahead of ourselves. So, uh, you were doing the coffee thing. Ronnie was working in a barbecue, barbecue joint. Was Ronnie the one that was kind of pushing to make this happen? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what was it about you that he wanted you to be his partner? I don't know. Um, Probably just because we were best friends. Yeah. (laughs) What is it about your friendship that works? Um, you know, I think, I think a lot of it is that we both have the same goals in mind or at least end goal. And at times, you know, just like any relationship, we might, might have like arguments or, or, you know, you don't agree on something or the, you know, the color of a t-shirt or whatever it might be or a recipe. But, um, the biggest thing I think that that helped us was having that end goal in sight, even though there might've been different ways to get there. Yeah. And I picked up on this from the very beginning, uh, same vision mm-hmm. from the, the time you were 11 years old, you're dreaming together. Yeah. And there's something to be said about dreaming together, visioning together, our vision. And I think that's a really important thing. they talk about this in business. You need to have a vision. And when you create a vision with somebody, I feel like it just cuts deeper. Yeah. You know, there's, it's like some, it's like cemented because we have been talking about this for a long time and you see partnerships when the people come together later in life and they just kind of meet and they bump up against each other Mm -hmm. and like, well, let's open a restaurant and people have different visions. Yeah. Right. I want to do this. Well, I want to do this. Right. So talk about that vision and how often it came up. And then when, when this, when this idea of opening a restaurant really started to, to like become real, like what, what was the conversation around vision and goals, Mm -hmm. getting to those goals and vision? Yeah, I mean, I think at the beginning, it was always to have a brick and mortar, um, which when we started, uh, he was working at a Moe's Original Barbecue, and which is where we both kind of cut our teeth, was there. Um, and then, you know, having having that end goal in sight, we had to start somewhere. So once we, once we started doing our own thing, we came back home to New Orleans, and we're like, all right, should we do a food truck or a trailer or you know, what, what are we going to do? We started doing little pop-ups at friends' houses and then slowly moved into a late night bar. So I think from, from starting so small, you know, it was easy for us to keep that, that vision of, all right, we're going to have like, our dream is to get that brick and mortar, that one building that's going to say blue Oak BBQ on the side of it. Um, and we were doing, you know, whatever it took to get there every day. So why Blue Oak Barbecue? Why You knew from a very, an early time that's what you wanted to be called. What was the significance there? You know, I get this question. Ronnie and I probably have answered it a hundred times, and we've tried to <laughs> make up some sort of juicy story. But, you know, it kind of just – it was a name that we didn't hate. <laughs> <laughs> if people ask me the same question about restaurant unstoppable i'm like i have i can't remember yeah. i remember the day i decided to and i called my professor and i was like i'm gonna call it restaurant unstoppable but i can't remember what it was it's weird how that happens yeah i think um you know you start putting keywords together i guess so oak obviously we use we use oak wood to smoke our on the on the pits um i was wondering is blue oak a type of tree it actually is okay um, but you don't use it? No. <laughs> but I think blue just kind of gave it like an abstract feel. Um, and then it just kind of stuck. And it's honestly, we were, we were 
trying to open, um, we had talked to the bar owner and the, the little kitchen space in this late night bar was vacant and he was trying to get us in as soon as possible. Wait, let's, let's tap the brakes real quick. Cause I want to unpackage a few things that you, that you mentioned. Um, you said you started with friends houses mm-hmm. and I, I mean, even the fact that you're, you're identifying this as a pop-up, I think most people wouldn't, they would just, they would call that just hanging out with friends and cooking barbecue. But there's a, when you have a shift in, again, perceptions, reality, if you call it a pop, a pop-up, I think you start treating it a little different. Mm-hmm. So go to, start there. Like yeah. what was your strategy? What were you doing? Take us through that, that act, that process of just like doing pop-ups at friends' houses. Yeah, I mean, I guess the first step was finding a barbecue pit. So we drove to, I think it was Foley, Alabama, spent all our savings on this this 250-gallon propane tank-style um, offset pit and drove it back to New Orleans. And the whole way, we're like, all right, well, what are we going to do with this thing? we got to start cooking. You know, somebody's got to eat. How eat. old are you at this time? I think we were... Uh, 22, We're probably 23 or 24. Okay. Um, and there might've been a football game coming the next week. And our friend said, you know, he's going to have a party. I said, well, look, we got this pit. Let's put it in the driveway, tell everybody to come over and give us, try to give us like a rough head count and we'll cook for everybody. Um, and from then on, you know, it was just to the next step, you know, what's next. So this first, to take us to this first cookout, this first party, what was it like? Um, I think we got pretty good feedback. Yeah. Uh, I think we did ribs, pork shoulder, and then a couple sides. Um, I remember being just really excited to like, you know, create something or do something and show it to our friends. Like, this is what we can do. Like, did you like it? What'd you think? Can we improve? At this time, you're both working at Moe's barbecue. No, this was, this was later. We, we had left, moved back home to new Orleans um, so you went to go visit him in Alabama? Well, right after school, he went to the headquarters, which is in Colorado. Okay. So he was in Colorado working for Moe's Barbecue. I moved up there, and quit the lo- job. How long were you there? I was there about a year, and I think Ronnie was there a year and a half. Okay. I think I think it's – I feel like we're jumping around a little bit, but we I think are. it's worth like <laughs> unpackaging some of the things you yeah, learned at Moe's absolutely. Barbecue. So what were the things that – how did that set you up for success? Being at um, Moe's. What was the point? Why not just go and start doing pop-ups? Like, what was your strategy? Do you guys, was, was that part of the strategy? We need experience? Well, honestly, we were, the, the, fir- the original idea was to franchise one. We were going to do one on our own. How did this not make it into the story? <laughs> <laughs> I think I've told it so many times that I, I don't know what people know and don't know, okay. I guess. But um, that's also a really great, uh, there, there's so many right paths you can take. It all mm-hmm. depends on what's right for you. Uh, and that is a path, like absolutely. And I, and I highly recommend p- people do this. If you want to go open a restaurant, go find somebody else doing the closest thing mm-hmm. to to what you want to do. And if there's a franchise, even better because they're going to give you the systems, the processes, the procedures, the protocols, and then you just kind of take that framing yeah. and then you slap your own brand and recipe on it. That was, I mean, was that, was I that think that was huge, yeah. especially coming from from uh, a couple guys that had never been in a restaurant in the yeah. kitchen, at least. Yeah. So. Was that your? Was that kind of? Did you did you want to open a franchise to learn, or were you planning on making that your thing? That was going to be our thing. Okay. Yeah. So why didn't that work? Um, you know, I think part of it was just kind of realizing that 
we wanted to be on our own, kind of create our own destiny, um, and not be tied to anything really. Okay. And uh, yeah, I mean, we were both ready to <clears throat> kind of come home and, and give it a shot. Um, but it was great starting so small because it gave us so much time to really evolve and and grow what what we are today blue oak you know so reflecting back at that time at moe's barbecue what were the biggest lessons you spent a year there and ronnie was there for a year and a half Mm -hmm. what would you what wouldn't you have today if not for that experience you know probably um discipline the structure you know they kind of had like you said everything already in place Mm -hmm. so it gave us from the get-go a great idea of how a restaurant should run Give me an example of what discipline looks like. Give me an example of what structure looks like. I'll tell you the 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 first thing is showing up at six thirty seven o'clock in the morning to uh, jump on the pit was the first wake up call for me. <laughs> yeah, it's a little different from your your college wake up times. I'm sure. Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> uh, what does structure look like? You know, having um, management in place, kind of distributing uh, duties, if you will task what who needs to be doing what at what time um you know there's so many crucial components to running a restaurant that all those little things have to be firing at all cylinders for for the whole you know the whole ship to sail right mm-hmm. uh when you say management what do you mean by that um i guess the different tiers of management you know front of house back of house Having a GM, having having really that person to hold everybody else accountable, mm-hmm. um, I think those tiers are, are are just invaluable to to how a restaurant should run. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what was this 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 business's Moe's Barbecue? How were their systems? You know, I didn't I didn't know a whole lot. I guess getting at that point because I was just a line cook at the, at that point. Okay. Um, but I, you could kind of see it from the background. Yeah. I was never involved in any like management discussions or anything. Um, but you can see it, you know, you know, when things work and when, when a restaurant might be on fire. Yeah. So you guys went there with the intention to one day get your own franchise and that was going to be your plan. Um, which is a great idea. Honestly, I think that's such a good idea to, to, to get a crash course on how to do something. When did you say this isn't for us? What did, when, when did that start to bubble up and how, why did it bubble up? Um, I don't know if it was one or two in particular things. It just kind of was a discussion that, that came up and, and we felt strongly about doing our own thing really. Um, and at the time we didn't know what that was or where that was going to lead, but we kind of knew, like we kind of went into it on our own and we wanted to sort of keep it that way, I guess. Okay. We were, we were in control of our own, you know, story at that point. So you choose to get off the the Moe's barbecue bus. Uh, you come back to New Orleans and you start cooking barbecue. So you have some you have some experience. You guys know what you're doing at this point. You're a little doing barbecue. Bit. I mean, you yeah, know. you're not clueless. Yeah, yeah, certainly so, not. So were you charging people for food at this party? I think we I think we asked everybody for like fifteen bucks. So like that to so cover flat rate, eat all you can eat, basically. Yeah. Um, were you licensed? No. 
<laughs> so I think one of the things I really, cause this is, if I'm opening a restaurant tomorrow, this is the path I'm taking. Yeah. I'm cooking. I'm having friends over. I'm collecting emails. I'm, I'm sharing my story. I'm refining recipes. Uh, what can you get away with? Like we're like really like realistic. When do we have to really start thinking about covering your ass and making sure you're permitted yeah. and you have licenses? I think we, we really started doing that once we got into an establishment. So when you, when you're actually doing business with an established yeah. business, um, why is that? The, why is that the, the, the tipping point? I think you're probably just more on the radar at that point because mm-hmm. they're coming to the building to inspect regardless. Yeah. And they're going to see that kitchen. Well, plus I think if you're approaching a business that is legitimate, and they're, you know, filed with the IRS and mm-hmm. you start doing business with them, you're going to get them in trouble. You yeah. know, like you can't expect somebody to break the law for you. Right, right. right? And that probably had a lot to do with it. I'm sure I'm sure the landlords told us, you know, gave us a few guidelines. Yeah. So what was that? So how long were you doing these these parties, these these pop-ups and that was ac- that was actually the only one we did we did that one and then we knew somebody through the that knew somebody and they owned a bar in Mid City called Mid City Yacht Club. And I think it was their five year anniversary. And they went out on a limb and uh and booked Ronnie and I to do this little barbecue thing on the on the sidewalk. Um and that was number two. That was the second that was the second event where we did and What was the f- the name of the first bar? The first bar, uh, which was after that, when we found like a permanent home for about a year was grits so the, which bar came first the late night bar or was that mid-city mid-city that was just a one-night event that oh, was okay. their five-year anniversary what party. was that what was that one night event like did it go any smoother than the it the was party? all right you know <laughs> we were i remember being at we were cooking most of the stuff at ronnie's parents house okay beforehand like the beans mac and cheese Sides, and everything yeah um and i think one of us was doing the pit then we'd run to the one would run to the house, whip something up, come back. It was kind of chaotic, you know, as you can imagine. As as to be expected, though. yeah. But how did these guys even know about you if you only did one barbecue party? Uh, we had a friend who was friends with the owner. Okay, yeah, got it. I think they good to have friends. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so what changed between that one late night spot uh, in Mid City Yacht Club? What was the big difference there? I think we kind of learn that we need our own space in order if we're going to keep doing anything. Um, you know, cooking, transporting food from like our parents' house to an event is just, it's not, not going to work for long. Yeah. So we, we just set out looking for spaces, um, to rent. And, and at the time that we went to Grits Bar, asked the owner, we noticed that the, the kitchen was vacant and it was a pretty popular bar amongst people our age at the time. So it was kind of a, a win-win, you know, we can, we can work and see our friends at the same time. And they took, they took the chance on us too and, and let us jump in there. Um, and we did, I think it was a percentage based rent off a sale. So all the sales went through the bar POS and we would get the tickets in the back in the kitchen um, and we stuck that out. We were there for about a year, maybe a year and a half. So this is actually really good stuff. Like take us through what these, these pop up terms 
look like? How to negotiate pop-up terms? This is something I really want to start learning. There's a lot of people out there that want to do this. They don't even know the first thing about approaching a restaurant to say, can I do a pop or a bar to say, can I do a pop-up here? And you said it was a percentage-based rent. What do you mean by that? Yeah, I think I think at the time and, and probably goes for most in that position is you don't have a whole lot of leverage. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're nobody. Yeah. So we're pretty much just so excited to get that chance to go in somewhere and just start cooking and doing our thing that we would have said yes to anything. Yeah. We'll pay you to come yeah, in. The, right. We'll give you a hundred dollars to let us feed people. Exactly. Um, um, so I think it was, I, th- I want to say it started at 20%. It might've gone up from there. So what does that mean? So take us through like 20% of what, like the total profit. So, yeah. So basically everything was going through his, uh, POS. So, you know, say we, we, somebody ordered a burger yeah, or we sold a hundred burgers that night. He was gonna cut us a check for for eighty. So he'd go into the POS and make items. So you'd be like, "What are you guys gonna serve?" And he'd make items and all the things you're gonna serve. Mm-hmm. Uh, the money would go to the till, and then at the end of the night, you got twenty percent of just food. So he would he would take eighty percent. No, of- he he took the twenty. Oh, he took twenty. Yeah. Okay. Um, and is that of profit? Like t- like t- like off the top, off the top. Yeah. Okay. Uh, what else? Um. Well. I guess from there we were uh, that in kind of what you were touching on. It was so it was huge for us to start that small because we were able to really work on our recipes, figure out actually what we want to serve and get get feedback. I mean, one on one feedback. And and I guess in hindsight, one of the better the best thing about it was that everybody was drinking. So they were very honest. (laughs) (laughs) So someone any good. We were, we'd hear about it. Yeah. Um, but no, you know, and that's probably another. Were you breaking even? Were you covering your costs? We were making a little bit. Um, $2.15 an hour? Yeah. That's, that's but where we were making. Thing. This is the thing. I think you need to go into it early on, not expecting or even trying, right. like, maybe try to make money, but don't expect to make money. Expect to do what you said got done. You mm-hmm. got feedback, you hung out with friends, and you had fun. Drank a little beer, you know, got a little dangerous sometimes. <laughs> um, but the point is, like, that should be why you're doing it, yeah. to have fun. Absolutely. Because it's your passion, because it's what you want to do. You don't care about the money. You just want to fucking make barbecue. Yeah. I think know? from day one, we were just, all we were interested in was the success. We just, we wanted to be successful. We wanted to give people a good product was, was crucial for us. And, you know... I don't think it, like I said, we would have done anything that the guy, if it was 50%, we probably would have said yes. Yeah. Well, so was this um, your full time? Mm-hmm. When you're doing these, these pop-ups, are you doing a, do you have any other cash flow? Nothing. Wow. So the power of having good parents right there. Yeah. And it was crucial, <laughs> you know. Um, yeah. we, the hours were, were pretty, pretty rough, too. The bar would open, I think, at 4. So we would attempt to do like a dinner service, but it wasn't. There was nobody there until yeah. later. It was kind of known as a late night bar. Yeah. So the crowd would come in around midnight and we wouldn't leave till about five, six in the morning. Oh, that's right. We did that for yeah, about a year and a half. Damn. Uh so when did things start to change? And I'm actually before we get into when did things start to change, were there any other uh pop ups you did at different bars where the terms different? It nope. was just this one spot that for a year it. and a half. So what, what changed? And actually, before you get into what changed, how did you evolve in that year and a half? What were the little things you learned the hard way? Well, um, besides recipes and, and, and stuff like that, the menu, you know, I guess 
we didn't have all the equipment we needed. And as you start like researching stuff and looking for equipment, you start learning what's actually out there that could be. What did you need that you didn't have? Um, auto shams, like warming boxes. I remember going to the bank. Ron and I were trying to get an oven. And it might have been like 2500 bucks or $3,000. And, you know, we're sitting down in a meeting, like excited, like, oh, we're going we're gonna to get this little loan for some equipment. Buy a new oven. We're going to be rocking and rolling. Um, got denied, you know, they, they ask for collateral, like how much you have in the bank. And we're looking at each other like, Oh, this isn't looking good. Um, so then we found a used equipment store and, you know, put everything we had together, uh, at the time, <clears throat> bought a few things that we needed, some new pans, pots and the oven. And, and, um, and just kind of went from there. This is great timing. Um, I'm a huge fan of Stephanie Robson. Uh, she's a retired, mm-hmm. Uh, faculty member at Cornell University. She just did a three-part workshop on kitchen design and layout. The last part was on equipment. And I'll what listen. you, you listen to that mm-hmm. one? So you know that, what does she say about uh, equipment and when to buy used and when to buy new? Putting on the spot right here. Yeah, you are how putting on the spot. Was listening? that in number three? I don't know if yeah. I've gotten to three. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was number three. So she, she said anything that isn't mechanical, buy used. Right. Pots pans yeah shelving that's a good point yeah and i mean even even today everything is digital and it just if you can find good stuff that that um you know is more analog i guess so to speak i'll we always go for that just it's less less stuff to go wrong yeah um what do you mean by that more analog basic you know digital from going like digital um touchscreen right touchscreen stuff to like knobs okay got you um i actually admittedly did not know what that meant yeah so i'm kind of a knucklehead <laughs> when it comes to technology uh the other thing too like uh ovens and ranges is the other thing she said because they're, they're minimally mechanical mm-hmm. you know yeah um okay so you decide to go used you, you you keep your 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 costs as low as possible what were the equipment so take it from there that wherever you were in that train of thought yeah we and then we i think we actually saved up for a second smoker uh, it's kind of jogging my memory. All right, so the first smoker we bought in Alabama. Yeah. We were smoking meat in the driveway between the bar and the office kind of house. Yeah. And we were doing our first our first festival. I think it was Po' Boy Fest. And we had we probably had like 30 pork butts on it, 40 pork butts. And there was so much grease that was coming that it made its way into the burn barrel into the, or I'm sorry, into the box firebox. And the whole thing just started blazing. Oh my fire God. In between smoking. the house and the office. It, yeah. That's not good. And we didn't really, we hadn't seen it in, you know, we hadn't been outside to check the pit in maybe 10 minutes. All of a sudden we heard fire trucks coming. We went outside and it was just <laughs> black smoke everywhere. And, uh, I think that was the turning point we had to get, we had to get a um, be a little bit more official with yeah a little bit. <laughs> what kind so of trouble? we found Can you a, say? we found an old hickory, um, a smaller pit that could go under the hood. Yeah. So then we're a little bit more legit with code enforcement, okay. I guess. So we'll. I think you bring up a really important thing. Like sometimes you just don't know until you know. Yeah. Right. And uh, get into that real quick for me, just a little bit. Like, what was the repercussion? Um. You know, first I think the bar owner probably up the up the percentage. 
at that oh, point. Oh, really? No, I'm Was kidding. Was there damage done? No damage. No damage. Um, but, but you know, it kind of just, it, it makes you grow up, I guess, as a business owner. Yeah. You know, you're like, oh, you, 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 can know, only you really got to follow some rules. for so long, right? Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. So going to City Hall, figuring out what we have to do, getting insurance, um, you know, all those little steps. You really just got to start figuring it out. So you weren't insured at this point? No. Okay. Uh, were you permitted? Yep, we were okay. permitted. But I don't think they knew what was going on in the uh So what did the this, back, what did this reveal that made that forced upon you? Like how do, how do I say this? Did this event open the eyes of individuals to say this these things need to start happening? I think so. I think it it kind of makes you be want to be a little more professional. Yeah. Um and and then that, you know, Taking yourself a little more seriously. Yeah. Was this still at Mid City Yacht Club? Is this where we're talking about? No, this is Grits. Grits Bar. Yeah. And how long were you at? Was the Grits the one that you were there for a year? Mm -hmm. Um. And at the end of this year and a half, did your profit go up at all? Was this, or is this when you peaked out at two dollars and fifteen cents? Yeah, I think we were peaking, (laughs) and then it was probably around the time rent was going up, and um, yeah, we just started looking for another another avenue. So what's the year? Now you guys started 2011, 2012, right? I think it was it was 2012 when the LLC was formed, I believe. Okay, when and Blue Oak Barbecue. When did came the to life. When did you almost catch the place on fire? That was probably <laughs> 20, 2013, maybe the end of twenty thirteen. You guys didn't open your first brick and mortar until two thousand sixteen, right? Correct. So what were the next steps between two thousand thirteen and sixteen? Well, fortunately, we had a we had a great friend of ours who. Her mom was a part owner of a music club. Okay. Um, and that kitchen became available. So, you know, again, just lucky knowing people who know people. Um, the the guy there took a big chance on us as well. And a huge thing from him was that he let us go in there. I think partly maybe because he had a bad experience with the tenant before, if if I'm not mistaken, he allowed us to go in there rent free. Wow. Didn't even know us, which was huge. So now you're, you're taking 100% of the profit. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the, I was going to ask what were the terms and it was basically just come set up and leave. And yeah, he was like, look, I don't want anything to do with the food. <laughs> I want to, he's managing the bar and the music and the talent and everything else. He just you guys to check can, that box. Yeah. yeah. If you guys can handle the food. What are the it's regulations in New Orleans? Do you need to serve food at bars in order to have no, a bar? No, you don't have to. It's just a draw? Yeah, I think so. Okay. At this point, what was your following? Did you guys have pull? No, not really. Yeah. But that place allowed us to really gain a lot more clientele. Um, Why? Because they already had a built-in clientele. Um, it was a pretty well-known music club. So whether the food was good or not they were they were going to be in that building Mm -hmm. so we were fortunate to have that audience to try to push our food on and and get the word and how long were you here we were there for i think two and a half years two and a half years so this was the last stop before opening your own place yep what was the evolution like at this location how did you guys grow well um your hourly rate it was the first place we (laughs) yeah yeah, a little bit not much (laughs) Um, you know, looking back on it, it was the first place we hired our first employee. Mm. 
which was, I think, a, a big thing back then. You know, we were, it was just me and him every single night, all night, um, me and Ronnie, that is. And, and we kind of realized we we're going to need help. The business was growing a little bit. We were getting busier and busier every night. And we couldn't really handle it. One of us had to be on the register at all times. Somebody had to be, you know, kind of watching the pit. And then the other one serving food. So we hired our first first employee. And from then on, I think we grew to maybe seven employees. Or maybe it was just seven seven people in that kitchen total. Um, so that's including a- Ronnie and I. But, yeah, it was, it was a small, I think it was about six feet by like 12 feet. It was tiny. That's a big evolution for restaurant owners going from partners or solo to employing people um what were the challenges associated with that yeah i guess kind of like what we were saying before is just trying to figure out what we actually need to do to do it correctly in terms of like payroll and Mm -hmm. taxes and all those little things you don't really think about because all you want to do is cook food yeah so what did you learn give us a lesson what you need to do to I mean, I know this kind of goes state by state, city by yeah. city sometimes as far as like... I think the biggest thing was reaching out to other people and understanding that that we don't know everything and we probably never will, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of around the same time, I think the mentorship part of Blue Oak really stepped in. Um, we started calling people, you know... It, the industry is so so warm for the most part um, that there are so many people willing to answer our phone calls and just let us pick their brains for, for hours on end probably throughout the course of maybe a couple months. Who are your key mentors that you called that you reached out to? There are plenty. There's one maybe sitting in this room, Neil. Uh, he's not. I don't think he's here right now, uh, but Neil who? Neil Bodenheimer. Um great great guy who's neil he uh he owns cure in new orleans also vows um he's been been around for shoot i don't know i think cure's been here since maybe 2006 six ish yeah, i think hold on i have notes because a little spoiler alert yeah we're talking to, to neil next uh i think they opened in 2000 i think it was right after katrina 2009 Nine, okay. Yep, 2009. So how did you know Neil? I think Ronnie had reached out maybe social media. Um, wow. Yeah. It could I was be a assuming they were like a friend of a friend, but you just... But this is a testament to, to successful people. They help others. They, they, they And that's what makes them successful is because what goes around comes around. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, you know, I think one of the... One of the biggest things is just... is being able to understand that that other people know more than you yeah and that your success can come by by asking like reaching out you know Mm -hmm. what were the key things he taught you i mean you went there specifically to him to learn more about how to do things right yeah i think that was probably the the majority of our calls and i think ronnie spoke to him more often was was just like hey i got this situation what should i do or or you know we we have to deal with these taxes like do you have a tax guy um stuff like that was was just everything we were learning in the beginning was coming at us so quickly um 
that we we really needed somebody to bounce ideas or or just really gain um gain more knowledge you know yeah. absorb everything we we could absorb was crucial in the beginning what were the biggest things that he told you taught you that like had the biggest impact on your success probably to be honest just answering the phone call i think said a lot um it really you know it's it there's so much respect for for a guy like that to give his time to pretty much nobodies. So you're saying a guy like that. What do you mean? What what makes him a guy like that? Just a real real swell, upstanding individual. I mean, he's not just a, a rest, like any run-of-the-mill restaurant owner, you know? Uh, at this point, the year is 2015, yeah. 2014. I would say somebody of his caliber. I mean, he's a pro. I mean, I did a little research on Neil before coming here yeah. talking to him today. So he, he got a start in the restaurant industry in uh, New York City, Atlantic Grill, and then mm-hmm. he worked for Union Square Hospitality with mm-hmm. Danny Meyer. <laughs> yeah. So, like, he, he he came from good lineage. Oh, yeah. 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 Like and, I and, said, he's 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 a pro. And he's a James Beard Award winner himself for his, his bar program here in New Orleans. So this is a top-caliber, cali- top oh, yeah. top-tier individual who probably gets a lot of people reaching out to him. You know? Yeah. Like, so the fact that he's making time for you and doing this says a lot. Yeah, I think that was the main thing. To, the main takeaway was just that he answered the phone and was was willing to talk you know yeah was huge and and i don't know about anything specific you know it was, it was so long ago but that pretty much said enough to us was was how to he taught you how to be yeah he gave you those values you know right. like what goes around comes around you're gonna remember that you're gonna pay that forward yeah absolutely you're doing I mean, it right now yeah you know uh okay so Anything we have not talked about, spoke about uh, during your evolution, during the, the, the years of the pop-ups, learning the hard way, things that are just worth sharing before we talk about you looking for your first brick and mortar? Um, you know, kind of touching on, on how we just left it with, with um, talking about Neil is just to, just to kind of stay humble and understand that there's so much to learn uh, when starting a business or a restaurant in particular that that you know a lot of times you feel like your back's in the corner against the wall and you always got to be moving forward you always got to adapt um whether you're making two dollars an hour if you have that end goal in sight yeah just keep pushing forward yeah um you know because there are obviously the ups and downs we probably don't have enough time for it yeah but um i'm trying to be better about echoing restaurant stoppable core values our second core value is we are students mm -hmm. and the reason for that is because of exactly what you're saying if you think you know it all, yeah. game over. Right. You you never know it all. You're always learning, and, and it humbles. You have to stay humble. You have to learn. You have to learn. Yeah, and I think that's probably something Ronnie and I have, have always been on the same page about, is that in every aspect, we can always improve, which is something we do pretty, probably every day. Um, you know, and you got to ask that question, how can we get better in every aspect? You know, whether it's like, how can I be a – better boss or a better leader or put my management team in a position that they can succeed or how can this recipe get better Mm. um from top to bottom i think that's that's a huge component of of propelling yourself forward and so crucial to growth is is having that that direction so uh now is a great time to thank our sponsors and we'll be right back to start talking about how you found your first brick and mortar 
Today's episode is brought to you by Chow Now, a commission-free online ordering system and food ordering app helping restaurants feed their hungry customers. Over 20,000 restaurants trust Chow Now for their online ordering. This is because Chow Now helps restaurants keep their profits, own their online experience, meet their customers everywhere, and make every diner a regular. Here's how it works. Chow Now clients get listed on the free Chow Now marketplace. Once they're there, they can meet new customers and take unlimited commission-free orders through Chow Now's app and site. There is no setup fee or monthly payment. Now, this is what I really love about Chow Now. You get access to valuable customer data, which allows you to personalize the experience and the relationship with your guest. In other words, you own the relationship with your guests, something not all third-party ordering apps can claim. And we cannot wrap up this message without telling you about how to level up with Chow Now Direct. Chow Now Direct is Chow Now's comprehensive online online ordering and marketing package. With Chow Now Direct, you get your own branded ordering app for iPhone or Android, email and print marketing, plus POS integration and much more. Because you are Restaurant Unstoppable listeners, you can enjoy 30% off the Chow Now Direct annual plan. Sign up at www.chownow.com slash unstoppable. That's chownow.com slash unstoppable. We're back, and uh, we're at the point of your story where uh, you're doing pop-ups, you're, you're, you're approaching mentors, you're growing, you're, you're, growing, you're uh, legitimizing your business, you're doing things the right way. Uh, when did the, the story of, okay, I think we're ready to now have our own pop-up, when did that start to bubble up and emerge? Um, you mean own, own brick, brick and, and mortar? Thank you, yeah. You know, um, I don't know if there's a specific instance. There were so many times I remember that we were trying to find one and in hindsight we there, we weren't even close to being ready mm-hmm. which so many times you know we went after a piece of real estate or a building or whatever and we didn't get it so this wasn't the, 2016 wasn't like the first time we we're like oh we're just gonna go now this was like a bunch of times of trying and failing or not failing but not getting what you wanted yeah i think once we got to the music venue chikiwawa we um we started kind of thinking a little bit more on the brick and mortar and thinking to ourselves we were ready when we were not. Um, Is Chikiwawa still around? Mm-hmm. Okay, because yeah. you, you said uh, was a few times. I was wondering if it like burnt down or something. No. Maybe there was like a barbecue fire. No. <laughs> we didn't catch it on fire. <laughs> Unfortunately, uh, they all did pass. Oh, that's sad. But, um, but they're still there. So... Um, what was it about this current location? So where is Blue Oak today? We're actually pretty pretty close to that music venue. I think we're maybe five block no, maybe ten blocks away. Yeah. We're on we're on uh Carrollton. So it's close to mid city. Um or it's in mid city, close to City Park. Got it. Um you you started this this conversation earlier saying we had a vision, we had goals. And that was one of the things that worked about you and your partner, uh, Ronnie. What were your goals? Were you hitting your goals? When did you want to have a brick and mortar? You know, I think I think the main goals were just it, dialing in our recipes and, our, and everything we were doing. Um, and that brick and mortar was just the end goal, you know. And, and like I was kind of touching on before was – um, we thought so many times that we were ready to, to go to a brick and mortar when 
it, it you know you don't realize until later that you just we were it was way too premature to even be thinking about okay dive into a, that dissect it i mean you know we we didn't have all all our recipes dialed in the the meats and everything weren't where we wanted them so to speak i mean i'll tell you what a turning point was was in that time we went to aaron franklin's restaurant this was you know, Austin, Texas. Ten years ago, I guess. Yeah. First time we had gone, and when we, which by the way, that guy's just salt of the earth. He gave us like an hour and a half of his time. Wow. Showed us the pits. You know, we were like just kids. I had no idea what he's, we were doing. He is on my radar. I would love to get an interview with Aaron Franklin. Uh, he's high up there. But sorry, keep going. Super sweet guy. Um. But yeah, it wasn't until we left that restaurant and on the drive home from Austin that we were like, we don't know anything so what about was he, barbecue. What was he doing that just kind of made like humbled you? What were the things that that, that he enlightened you with? I mean, it was it was, I mean the 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 food he was putting out was on such another level that we were just we were blown away. Well, we didn't know give that. Me an like, example of another level. His brisket, for you know what he's most known for we had never even thought that brisket could be that good what was so good about it i mean the brisket in itself is a hard piece of meat to cook why and, and to keep it consistent well it's it, you kind of got two pieces of meat coming together or two muscles and um it takes a long time it's just it's it's a frustrating piece because i'd say the majority of them are so different um, that it puts it's challenging. The cut of meat itself isn't consistent. Well, for for us, when we were getting like you know just stuff we we're buying at Costco or Sam's yeah. or wherever, uh, we weren't getting consistent, you know, pieces to where the fat fat content was the same. You know, coming from the same weight wasn't the same. Yeah. So the, with, with barbecue, it's time it's time and and temperature. So. Yeah. If you have a piece of meat that's bigger or smaller, if you if you cook it the same amount of time and say it's a little bit smaller, it's going to come out drier. Yeah, there's no there's no or less fat will come out drier in in barbecue. I mean, yeah, um, there's no there's no textbook to show you how to cook a brisket. So he just kind of gave you a whole new standard, a, le- a, a yeah. aiming point of what's possible. Yeah, I mean, he was he was making his own sausage, which we thought we came back and we started making our own sausage. Yeah, um, but that's really the, was the eye opener. That we had to step it up and really keep improving, and that was that was the gold standard. You know, we were shooting to be as good or better than than him. Yeah, uh, which I think so many people in the country do. Yeah, um, but just even just the part of my language, the fucking balls on the two of you to approach these people. <laughs> I, I think was it was it a level of ignorance too of just not realizing how successful these people were, and I think but ignorance is bliss. Yeah, because if you had known. You might have been a little gun shy, you know. You might have not been like you might have been too nervous to approach that person. Yeah, I think um, there was probably a mixture of ignorance and just being being young and yeah. just driven. I think it was this, like we're gonna we have to meet this guy or we have to talk. Did to you him reach or out to him, or did you just show up and tell him we own barbecue? Place? I think I think Ronnie probably reached out. Um, you're inspiring me right now, but it could, <laughs> because I'm like I'm like afraid to approach Aaron Franklin. You know what I'm saying? He's super nice, and I'm like this guy did it. Like, There's I no was way like, he remembers I, us, like, but I'm sure he does at that know? moment. You know, 
Yeah. He was he was incredible. That's awesome, man. So, but what this this is a lesson in itself right here. What's the worst that can happen? Right. If you yeah. approach these people, they blow you off, they don't have time for you. If they say yes, they can open your eyes, they can change your world, they can shift your paradigm. Mm-hmm. You know, like do it. Yeah. So, so he, so he helped open your eyes uh, and see what, you know, he helped you realize you weren't ready. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's when we came back and we just started grinding again, you know, getting better every day and trying to improve, which again was, was a blessing in disguise that a property we were looking at before this trip fell through. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, there's so many things that happen along the way that you might get upset about or, or, you know, highs and lows. But as long as that, that drive keeps you going forward, you know, and you're going to realize, I think in hindsight that things do happen for a reason. Yeah. So you realize you are ready now. Um, you, you, you're looking for your brick and mortar. Uh, what was it about your current location that spoke to you? Where we are now. Yeah. Um, mid city. Oh man. When we first saw it, it was, it was just, it's a huge property. I think it's 9,000 square feet with, with parking and an outside patio. And at the time, we were, in a, we were basically cooking in a closet, size kitchen. Did it scare you how big it was? No. Not, could, honestly, was not the really. Was reasonable? I mean, it was, yeah. Okay. Um, but, you know, sometimes, like, look, just thinking about it now during our conversation, I, th- I think you have tunnel vision a lot in the beginning. It doesn't even matter. Like, you don't think about the consequences. The consequences you don't care. of what? I mean, defaulting on the rent. Yeah. You're uh, right. And that's, what, and that's one of the reasons why I asked if you're scary, because I think this gets people into a lot of trouble. Mm-hmm. They have this vision of what they want, and they just go for it, and they don't think about the reality of how hard it is mm-hmm. to be, maintain a space like that. Uh, and, if you, and if it's just you and, like, one other person, you might get overwhelmed. You might not be able to keep up. It might... You might not ever get to the point where you can put enough uh, butts and seats yeah. to cover your liabilities, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's it's certainly a scary thing, and I think it would come into our minds like a blip randomly, especially the I remember the night before we opened um, was a scary night. It was like kind of reality set. It was like, holy shit. Where were you uh, as far as your following, as far as the cash flow? I mean, now you're in business for four years, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, how much did things, you have seven employees. How yeah. much did things change? Money, um, you're making more than $2.15 an hour to, to pay for seven a people. A little bit. We were, well, the biggest thing was we were able to get a loan. Okay. Um, what shifted that enabled you to get a loan? Uh, I, think, I think it was a relationship okay. that we had with, with um, somebody at the bank. Um, and then having a little bit more pocket change, I think helped. Well, in that experience, but we were still living at home. Okay, didn't didn't own a car, you know, things like that. Uh, didn't really have anything in my name. So, I do me a favor and get into a little bit more detail of how little you had. I mean, you had a, and I don't mean to, like to paint you as somebody in despair, because you did have a. You're mm-hmm. so fortunate. You had the family support, and that. That is huge. Most people don't even have a lot of people don't even have that, you know, so I'm not saying you didn't have anything, but like I want to paint the picture for the listener to, to, to give them an example of how lean to get. Yeah, I mean, I think we didn't we didn't do anything besides 
work on the business. Yeah. Um, you know, we worked every day. So there's kind of no time to spend money on anything. Yeah. We didn't go shopping or buy new shoes or anything like that. Everything we were making was just going right back in. Mm-hmm. We need a new piece of equipment so we can feed more people. Yeah. Um, and that was kind of the, that was kind of how we ran for so many years was just reinvesting in the business, putting money in. Um, that was what allowed us to keep growing. Got it. Um, okay. You open. You're shitting pickles. It's the night before. Mm-hmm. Take it to that, that, that point. Yeah, that was probably one of the first times that, that it really hit me. Like, man, we're going to open the doors tomorrow and nobody, there's a chance that nobody shows up. Um, but we were so fortunate that people did show up and we kind of timed it right because we're close to the fairgrounds, which is where they hold jazz fest. Okay. So we pushed really, really hard to get open for that weekend. Cause we knew there's going to be tons of people in the neighborhood mm-hmm. and you know, with, with the buzz of a new restaurant, you know, always helps. So that was kind of our, our chance to really get, get the word out. Did you do anything to help push that buzz and create buzz? Were you reaching out? Were you doing your own publicity? Like, I think we, we were friends with, um, or friendly with one of the local writers, Ian McNulty, who, okay. who put us in, I think the paper at the time. Was he just a, a friend just from being in the area, you know, who we grew up with? Yeah. Or? He's kind of, he's basically the, the food writer around here. Okay. So, um, it's a good friend to have. If you're yeah. A restaurant. And he had, he had <laughs> gone to see us in grits. Okay. So he kind of already established a relationship a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Um, like I said, you know, we were friendly enough, I guess, to to let him know, hey, we're we're finally opening a restaurant. But I guess kind of at that time, having been open at Chicky Wawa helped get that word out as well. So when people found out we were moving into our own our own home, I think word spread a little bit and helped. Yeah. So were you busy first on your first day? Oh, we were slammed. I mean, <laughs> we had thing? no idea what we were. We didn't even have a dishwasher. We thought we were going to get away with... Um, no the the no dish left behind rule so if like you take one of the dish we would we would kind of clean it on the spot or at least soak it yeah um so we didn't even have a dishwasher my wife was working the register my then girlfriend uh now wife and i think we had it was her on the register and one other person dropping food to tables um and we got crushed and then you know like we were fortunate to keep keep that going for for weeks and and months and even to the, this day. Wow. Uh, so what things? I mean, we're, I mean that was 2016. You're now six years into, or almost seven years into this uh, with the brick and mortar. Take us through your evolution. Take us through. Well, I mean, or just go deeper into those first couple of days of getting open. The things that you wish mm-hmm. you knew now that you didn't know that. Yeah, I mean. It's certainly way more work than you than you think, and at that time, you know, not not having, um, I guess, anybody to back you, so to speak. Although we did have that, we were doing. I mean, I remember calling a buddy of mine and buying a case of beer so he would help me paint the outside of the building. Yeah. Um, while Ronnie was like inside scraping the walls of the old walk-in or something. What did the building need to be ready? Um. 
not a whole lot. It was, I mean, it was a restaurant for a long time. It was just super outdated. It didn't look, it was a Mediterranean restaurant. Okay. And it didn't look like, obviously, a barbecue restaurant. Yeah. Um, so did you need to needed, buy any additional equipment? Yeah. We needed um, bigger smoker, you know, uh, more refrigeration. And then we built a bar. So it didn't have a bar at the time. Were you leasing or owning? Leasing. Uh, how Any advice on negotiating a lease? Did you, did you guys have advice or guidance, mentorship doing that? No. No. <laughs> Anything we were just, you we were then that you know zero now about leverage. Yes, man. Oh uh, yeah, we'll is, take it. Do you, is have you been enlightened about anything that you could have done differently to have a better deal? Um, you know, not necessarily. I, I, it was a good deal, and I think our realtors, we we put a lot on them to to guide us. Um, but I do remember sending an email to the landlord before we had gotten it and just kind of like describing us and like how we would want to make him a proud landlord and yada, yada, kind of like a heartfelt email. And yeah. At the time we didn't know till later he was, he was contemplating the Starbucks was trying to go there. Oh wow. And another big, big name restaurant here in new Orleans, um, big chef. Uh, and he turned them down and, and, Went with us. Did he ever tell you why he went with you? No. uh, You know, I'd spoke to his daughter once or twice, and she had mentioned that that the email might have helped. Yeah. (laughs) But Sincerity goes a long way. Yeah. And I was kind of shocked. You know, you can't. How do you deny Starbucks probably has 20-year leases that they guarantee? That's that's a very uh, safe pony to bet on. Yeah. Yeah, in a an established restaurant tour is also another safe pony. So a bit time, yeah, much bigger than a couple of couple of random kids, <laughs> ragtag barbecue boys. Yeah. Uh, okay, so is, reflecting back at the time, is there anything building out the restaurant? Uh, things that you just didn't know now, things you just weren't or didn't know then that you know now, things you weren't privy to. Yeah, I mean, you know, I guess a lot of it goes back to. The just layout. How much money did you spend? We were, I think the loan was around 125000 or something like that. Did you spend all that in the build out? The build out? Pretty much. We had to say, we had to stay super lean to have operating money, you know, for startup. Um, but yeah, you know, looking back on it, you kind of just build the kitchen and, and the, the concept around what you know. And then with the evolution of the restaurant and so many other things around you, you know, you start to realize, oh, we could have done this better. We could have not put this in this wall because it kind of, you know, it it's going to be there forever unless you rearrange the entire kitchen. Little things like that. Um, but, but, you know, every, like I've said before, every, every day is, is a new challenge. Like you're always figuring out something new. So whether whether we put ourselves in in a position now, you know, a year, two years from now, it it could have to change. You know, I think a huge example, if I'm making sense, there is is uh, how COVID changed so much, um, specifically for us. You know, and not only physical layout, the menu, personnel, you know, how we operate. Um, you always got to be willing to adapt. 
Yeah. I guess is the point I'm trying to make. So let's let's get into that evolution, that adaptation over time. Now, six years into this thing, how have like take us through chronologically the key evolutionary points? You said you're constantly trying to grow. You're always trying to be a better version of yourself today than yesterday. So take us through that. I think a lot of it is personnel and then the kitchen side, you know, the equipment and knowing what you need. A lot of times I think we were so hands on, which which leads to a, a one of my favorite quotes is is um that you can't be so involved in the business. You have to you have to kind of step back in order to grow the business. Um which I think is, is something from the E myth, maybe? You uh, probably know. You, you don't want to work on your business or you don't want to work in your business, anyway. you wanna work on your business. Correct. Um, Mikey Saboro from Mikey's Late Night Slice, uh, love that guy. I love the way he puts it. You got to build layers mm-hmm. between you and the work. Yeah. So when you first start, you're doing it. You're in it. There is no layer. It's you. And then you right. put a layer. You hire somebody else, and you put a layer between you and the work. And that layer is an individual. Uh, but over time, you got that. Those layers keep getting built. Mm-hmm. So like when you, you first you go from the the, techn- the the technician, the person that does the thing. And then you delegate that. And eventually you, you, you replace yourself in all the things you have to do. And then you're the manager. But ultimately you want to put another layer there where you're no longer the manager either. You know, because right. that's a lot of work too. So you're constantly just putting layers between you and the work. You do it, then you delegate it, then you do it, then you delegate mm-hmm. that until you're so far away from the work that all you do is work on the business. Right, right. You're open right now, right? In this moment? Almost. No, I'm saying, uh, it's, yeah, it's 1120. You guys are open, but you're here. Right, right. Yeah. Right. No, you're I mean, working on the business. You're promoting your business. You're sharing your story. So that's a perfect example. Yeah. And, and I think going back to the question on, on the adapt, I th- you know, a big thing is realizing when you need to take those steps. Um, you know, when you, when you do need a bigger smoker or when you do need a, a GM, we didn't have a GM for probably the first three years. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, I think that's normal, you know, yeah, it um, might be. Oh, yeah. especially if you didn't have the privilege of having a, a bunch of, like some people, this is their second career. They, you know, they became engineers or they work for an oil company mm-hmm. and they hated their lives, but they banked hundreds of thousands, if not a million dollars. So they had capital, the operating capital that they could pay themselves over time. You didn't have that. You couldn't go to your, your savings and hire somebody. You had to increase the business, the cash flow. And slowly, cash flow and people determine growth. Mm-hmm. Is that safe to say what you guys did? Very safe. So when did the cash flow start to, imp- to start to increase? And how did you start to prioritize where you removed yourself? Yeah, probably wasn't, probably wasn't for quite some time. It was probably, well, it might have been a year. Okay. Which was probably one of the biggest challenges, at least personally. Were you still um, living with your parents after a year? Yeah. 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 So and then see that yeah you know what you if you don't mind me asking what did you uh, gross and net in the first year what I, what did I pay my parents rent what's that <laughs> what did I pay my parents in rent no nothing <laughs> well that's I mean again like swallow your ego swallow your pride do whatever it takes lower yeah. your liability but it wasn't probably till till a year that I I kind of pulled myself out of the kitchen yeah uh, which was a huge huge move and and honestly i was kind of lost for for a while i knew that 
it had to be done in order to grow the business and, and really kind of see it from that bird's eye view. Um, because at the time, you know, we didn't have a catering manager or director. We were taking catering orders and Ronnie and I were doing that while we're trying to be on the pit and we're trying to answer the phone and doing everything all at once. You know, I think we learned pretty quickly that you can't do it. It's impossible to do it on your own. So we, we started hiring up from, from seven, you know, that went to 10 and 15 and 20 and, and, you know, you kind of start to learn where the pieces need to go. GM or, or back of house. How do you um, learn? I think just by doing it and yeah. talking to people. I mean, yeah. seeing what other people do is, is, uh, is how, how are you learning about where people go? Is, were you say you're, are you learning about the people or are you learning about what, what are you learning about specifically? Yeah, mainly the, the people side, you know, um, cause once Ron and I removed ourselves, then we needed somebody to fill that gap, that void, you know, who's watch, who's checking on quality constantly. If I'm trying to take a catering order, mm-hmm. who's making sure that, you know, that cut of brisket is correct or, or whatever it might be. Um, so from there, you know, it's just, it's kind of like a domino effect. Mm-hmm. You do one thing that kind of creates something else or maybe two more things or three things and puts different perspectives in mind that, uh, that need, you know, to get addressed. Got it. Uh, so reflecting back over the, the first four years before COVID-19, what were the key things that your business experience as far as evolution, things you started doing differently that really changed for you? Well, I think COVID, it probably spun the majority of what we thought was going to be to go business forever um, into a tornado. Um, even, even now, and it hasn't gone away, um, our, our to go sales at its lowest is about 30%. And some days it's even with dining. Wow. Um, you have a big space. How many seats? Uh, Is it picking tables? I think it's around 150 if you include, include the whole patio. Okay. So that's, that's saying something. Yeah. Um, and I think, I guess it's going to stick around, but you know, what we were, were you, what, what was the, the split in, in-house, uh, delivery or takeout before, before then? Yeah. It was, I think it was roughly five to 10. You know, we had this little bench and the other day I was laughing at it cause we didn't know, we don't know what to do with it anymore. We had this little bench that anybody coming in to do a, to pick up an order could wait there and it could fit maybe three people. Um, and now, you know, the, we have an entire outside tent dedi- dedicated to just people coming to pick up their to-go orders. So what do you think? Is this just uh, – I don't, I don't really want to talk a lot about how you dealt with COVID, how you got through COVID because I – Me neither. I, I just hope that we never have to – I hope that advice does need not apply. Right, you know what I'm saying? Right. Like that's the hope. And um, I mean I hope I'm not jinxing it by saying that too. Uh. But at the same time, um, I think it is important that we talk about how COVID changed your operation thereafter. So when we're going forward, just talk about like not necessarily how you went through the evolution, but like paint the picture of what your business was to have had to evolve to handle the current demand for takeout. I think um, I think the biggest thing is the how to in adapting to that new style of everything's or 
sometimes half of what we're making is going out in a box. That's when we really started looking at the kitchen layout for the first time since day one. Um, You know, we had been kind of, you get stuck in your way for so long and like this works. And then something like, you know, COVID get the wrench gets thrown in and you're like, all right, we have to, we have to adapt and, and switch this up a little bit. How can we be a little bit more efficient and, and putting out food that's going away from us and in the dining room? Um, so now we're actually have somebody that's helping us come in and, and thinking about redesigning the entire kitchen and the layout for flow. Um, and we're about to build a little takeout room, kind of a mini kitchen where all takeout orders are going to come from, actually. Yeah. So what you're talking right now, is, and this is something that's come up a few times in conversation in the network, uh, because takeout and delivery is just in- increasing at such a, a rapid rate that you need a whole separate line, that you should have a takeout mm-hmm. line and an in-house line. Because you don't want, because you don't want to bottleneck your, your resources, mm-hmm. right? Because theoretically, technically, you have infinite amount of seats at home, mm-hmm. right? So you don't want that demand to ruin the in-house experience because people will be like, "This is horrible." I've been here for thirty minutes, mm-hmm. and it's just me. Like, there's ten open seats in here. Like, what's the what's the wait? Why is it so slow? But they're not paying attention to the right. the thirty percent of total volume that, that's going out the front door. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and you struggle with, all right, should we put, should we invest money into this? Like, is it going to change? Is it going to go back to majority dine-in? But, you know, at the same time, we have to shut down online orders a lot because of the volume. Mm -hmm. That's revenue loss, technically. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And this is going to allow us to pretty much be available at all times for whether it's dine-in or carry-out. Mm-hmm. So when you first opened, something I, I like to kind of focus on is like how you evolved your systems, processes, procedures, protocols. Where were those when you first opened? Um, non-existent, Do I'd you, say. But where are they today? Much better. Um, we're we're starting to look like a real restaurant. Now. What does it? What does that look like? What is it? What does a real restaurant look like? You know, I think it's it's going back to the the management team is crucial. Having the right people in the right places. Um, delegation accountability you know there's so many moving parts that without it you're just kind of running ragged what about chain of command yeah that's a big one um you know a lot of times and we're still you know we still work on it um because sometimes ronnie and i are so heavy handed in the business and we're there all the time and um so we're trying to kind of teach that that chain of command currently that you know you can go through the ladder um in order to discuss whatever it might be so why is it important to remind people not to come to you that now there is a layer between you and say uh a counter like a whoever's at the register or whoever's on pay i don't know what what it looks like but don't come to us come to the manager yeah you know i think it's just Keeping that structure allows everybody to work a little bit more efficiently, you know, um, because if it's a certain thing, you know, it's just like back house, front of house. You're not going to go to necessarily a back house person to let them know that the toilet might be overflowing. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, which is always a fun time. Um, 
so you know it, it's it's kind of keeping everybody in their lane i guess just helps helps the whole organization move do you still live with your parents no when did you move out when i got married okay when did that happen <laughs> um oh i'm gonna get in trouble 2017 okay so the year after i think it was the year after we opened it so i mean it's hard to believe covid was two years ago at this point in in, in march it's gonna be two years it's crazy right mm-hmm. um what is your business today Versus what it was in 2016. You know, um, I think more efficient. Why? How? Because of putting those systems and that structure in place. Having Get specific. Give me the give me specific things that you can say. This is what say, we do. It's probably the man, our management team. Maybe. Okay. You know, we we surround ourselves with incredible people, um, which is just so important for them to kind of buy into the the vision and jump on board. And, what is the vision? Um, taking over the world. Are you take over the world. No, you know, just getting better every day, expanding, you know, um, I'm a new employee right now in this moment. What's your vision? Get me excited. Why should I work for you? We want to open more locations. Um, we want to really tap into catering. Why do I care about how many locations you open? I think what we're trying to do is, create um more more of an organization that you can grow in okay that's that is kind of i don't know i don't want to speak out of turn but it's it's it seems at times rare in the industry at least maybe so you're gonna grow why do i care about that what's what does that mean for me what's in it for me well we're gonna have you know different positions maybe you're more interested in being a catering salesman, okay. you know, doing outgoing sales, that might be your, your strength. Um, but you know, having more in house that we can, that we can offer people yeah. instead of just, Hey, you know, why don't you work this line for, for 20 plus years until you decide to quit. Yeah. Yeah. So like, so what you're saying, like in, in you're going right now, you're, you're, you're talking about Maslow's hierarchy of needs or just the, the hierarchy of needs in general, but at, closer to the peak is personal growth people to be happy need to know that there's opportunity for growth that they can grow so you have to show them like you have to show them tangible framing tangible lines of growth you start here and you can and you can end here here makes 15 bucks an hour here makes a hundred thousand a year mm-hmm. you know and and these are the things you need to do to get here and this is where we're going do you want to be a part of it right sign me up for that i want to work for that company mm-hmm. you know versus you're qualified for this job you're hired yeah yeah i mean i think at the end of the day we we focus a lot or we at least try to put a big emphasis on our people and the culture and the environment that we have um we really want to take care of everybody first um and and that's kind of just part of it and the coolest thing is being able to have our management team there now involved in that process to bring us to that next level, you know, because like we've probably touched on a little bit, Ronnie and I don't know everything. We're not, um, we've never done this before. Yeah. So being able to take these people on the journey with us and help like, okay, we're, maybe we're going to hire a director of operations, you know, like. So and so, so and so. What does that look like? Mm-hmm. You know, help us brainstorm that on paper, 
so that when maybe we do need that person, we know exactly what we're looking for and what they're going to do. So you bring your people in on the decision-making, the, the, the visioning of what the future looks like for us, mm-hmm. the brainstorming. So what does that do? Why does that, how does that improve culture? You know, I think, I think it gives them um, obviously more opportunity, but of the feeling of being part of something yeah. that, we're, that Ronnie and I aren't just, you know, sitting at, in the office and we don't really care, like, you know, whatever it might be. Um, but I think that's, that's probably just one of, one of the more important things for us is taking care of our people and having that opportunity for them to grow yeah. with us. Yeah. So I, one of the reasons why I love traveling on site and something that I hope to do more of as restaurant unstoppable grows and as I, I connect with more people, cause this is now my third trip to New Orleans so I can come to the city and I can reach out to past guests and I can reconnect and keep the conversation going. Uh, last night, uh, it was the last two nights ago, dude, yesterday was rough by the way. Uh, <laughs> so I got to get together with Philip and Ronnie and Peter when, uh, my first guest when I was in town and we went out to worry, um, Cooter uh, Browns. Browns. We had some oysters. We had some drinks. It was a good time. And we 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 experimented a little bit. And I was like, I'm going to throw some mics on the table and let's just talk. The place was so loud. If we're, I don't know if anybody will ever be able to hear that conversation, but we just started some open dialogue. And during that conversation, we started talking about open book management. And I'll, I'll give Savannah some credit. She's sitting behind me right now. Uh, afterwards, when we went back, she's like, you didn't really let Phil and Ronnie explain their perspective on open book management and why I think the argument I was trying to say is everybody should know all the numbers mm-hmm. and you had some feedback or you had some, you kind of pushed back a little bit and she, yeah. and she was right. I wasn't, I didn't get to, I didn't really give you guys a chance to kind of, you know, do you know the, the part of the conversation I'm talking about? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think, um, we were talking about mainly management maybe. And then you were touching on everyone. Um, but we definitely have an open book with, with management and we're trying to get even more open, you know, by putting, using, uh, three restaurant 365. How about that? Yeah. Yeah. When did you implement that tool? Uh, about might've been four months ago. Okay. So we're still in the beginning, kind of getting it set up. Okay. But, um, having tools like that allows us to share with the management and the team, you know, target points, I guess. You know, whether it's like food costs or waste or, you know, even bringing more revenue to the bottom line by uh, having a, a party, you know, a specific party on a Saturday night that might go till midnight and, you know, you're making new cocktails or whatever. Um, having those, having that available so that they can hit marks for bonuses or, you know, whatever that might look like. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think I think it's important for us to have that uh, available for our growth yeah. and for making this a more kind of inclusive like team. Yeah. So I mean, there's something that's special that happens when you share the numbers. Is it becomes a game, and you start to realize how you, how you show up to that game has an effect on the score mm-hmm. and the numbers, the cash flow, all those. That that's just those are the key performance indicators. That's a scoreboard. Mm-hmm. And when you you explain to people like, listen, like. Every one of you can have an impact on the bottom line. Every one of you can have an impact on our on our our total cash flow. And if our cash flow goes up, that means you get to make more money. 
Uh, so what is your strategy? What is your plan to, to, yeah, to implement I mean, that? And not to turn it, but we, we do have a, a, an idea, you know, it's not implemented yet, but some of the concepts that we want to open, Ron and I think it'd be incredible to like be able to bring them in on the early stages, almost like buying stock. Yeah. Um, and really being a part of it and having a piece of it, you know, whether it's somebody that on our management team is like, Oh, I got an idea. Let's open up a falafel joint. And, you know, we might be able to do it with them and Mm -hmm. bring them along and give them a P and we we become partners. Mm -hmm. Um, that's kind of a goal Ronnie and I have, um, somewhere in the future to be able to do that, I think would be, would be awesome. I love that. And, 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 I mean, it's about creating opportunity for others, right? But in doing so, you're creating opportunity for yourself. Yeah. Right? I mean, it's, it's at the end of the day, it's a team effort, top to bottom. Um, like I said before, you really can't do it alone. And, and like I've heard on this show and the famous quote, all, all ships rise with the tide. Yeah. Is that it? Yeah. Um, yeah, the team, the team means a lot to us. So Awesome. Um, Crazy to think we're already almost an hour and a half into this conversation, right? It goes by real fast. Uh, I'm curious. The mission statement is to inspire, empower, and transform the industry. You've already inspired us. I feel empowered. You've given us some great advice. How, how have you transformed? Who are you today versus the man you were? I mean, you're fucking man. You're a boy. Yeah. 2012, right? I've never had a beard this long. <laughs> yeah. I'm going on like six weeks. How first you, time ever. How have you transformed over the years? Who are you today versus the man you were then? Um, it's a good question. I think a little calmer, maybe. Mm-hmm. I've understood a lot of things aren't in my control. Um, I've learned to delegate and trust other people to follow kind of what what my vision is or what i want to be um putting out to the to the public through blue oak um you know a lot of those things i guess is just really maturity um and i'm also a dad now yeah that changes things i bet i can't relate but um yeah i gotta get on that changes a lot, <laughs> a lot of stuff. uh so again on this idea of transformation uh, one of the things I want Restaurant Unstoppable, I want to evolve to, right? And I think one of the ways I can evolve and serve the industry is to start talking about what's wrong with the industry today, what's broken with the industry today. When you look at our industry and, you, you know, you see, like, why why don't people want to come work for this industry? Why why isn't there a draw to this industry anymore? Like, what's broken with our industry and what do you think needs yeah. to change? I mean, it's a good question. I think. Part of it is probably what's already been somewhat addressed and is continuing continuing to be addressed is is sort of misconduct in our industry mm-hmm. was happening for a long time. Give, a, give me an example. What probably, do you mean I mean, even before before I kind of got involved, you know, the really? old school way of throwing pots and pans at people's heads. Okay, um, <laughs> just kind of not being respectful. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, that's obviously part of it. And I think the industry is changing in a different direction I agree. towards that. Um, but, you know, maybe maybe some of it is that is that uh, organizational structure, um, that path 
you know, might not be there. Whereas other industries, you can kind of see it very tangibly, mm-hmm. you know, you, and I don't want to speak out of turn, but if you're an accountant, maybe you start at the bottom, you know, and you're just plugging away numbers, whatever that might look like. And then you can see these are the different levels until you can maybe be the CFO of a company or whatever. There's more structure. You know what you have to achieve yeah. to get to where you want to be. And I think from the outside looking in, maybe, I don't know, maybe people just don't think that way about the restaurant industry. Maybe it just hasn't been available for so long. Um, but, you know, we also get a bad rap for being all, being a bunch of misfits and and stuff like that, which maybe maybe most of us are. But at the same yeah, time, there's some there's, truth to that. There's some That's of one of the reasons smartest, why I love the industry. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's some of the smartest people I've ever met in, in yeah. restaurants and and the hardest working i mean creative you know there's such a such a melting pot of 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 people from i mean so many different strengths i think that that doesn't get enough enough limelight yeah um one thing i did want to talk to you about i know you're you're trying some new things you're you're thinking outside the box with your business model how has your business model evolved well definitely with the to-go stuff um yeah, that's that's probably the biggest one on our plate right now, is how do we adapt to, to fulfill all those orders? Um, we talked about floor plan, yeah. flow, two lines, separate lines flow. to control flow. What about what are you leveraging in the digital front? How is your business? What what tools have you adopted? What technology are you leveraging on the digital front? Well, luckily, and not to keep bringing up the the bad word COVID. Luckily, right at the beginning, Toast was able to integrate DoorDash and online ordering. So that was huge for us. Um, for a long time, we were only only taking phone-in orders. Um, the ability to have anybody order, go, go to our website and order food directly because it integrates was huge. Yeah. Um, How else are you leveraging Toast? I mean, they have a ton of features. ton of features. I mean, they integrate with we started using their payroll, which obviously integrates in restaurant 365, um, can pull all the data. I mean, it helps you just get better. Yeah. Um, what's, aren't you doing some kind of membership deal right now? No, route 22 or something. Rule, oh, we're doing uh table 22 table 22. What is table 22? That's more of a, um, a membership where you can sign up for, for, we're doing a two or a four person dinner. And one, you get it once a month. So once a month, you'll get a dinner from us that is off-menu, kind of special, um, and delivered to to your door. And okay. you can get wine pairings with it. It's pretty cool. So how does that work? Do you just do? You, how do logistic, the logistics work? Are you just kind of taking the orders and developing the the menu, and then what happens? We'll put the menu out. Um, you can sign up on Table Twenty Two's website. Where do you put the menu out? Uh, on table twenty two, so it's like an or aggregator on our Instagram, for, you know. So it's an aggregator for membership, like food membership. Right, right. That's fucking brilliant. It's kind of oh, it's great. The guy, the guy behind it's awesome. You should maybe reach out. You know, him? uh, yeah. All right. He he actually showed up to Blue Oak before we started, which I thought was really cool. Um, to actually put a face to the name, you know. So how much additional revenue are you generating from table twenty two? Uh, well, we actually did our first month in January. Okay, and I think we started. It's ninety bucks for two, and we probably sold. I 
think it was right around 60 on the first month. And what that's what the consumer's paying. What cut does Table 22 take? If I remember correctly, I think it's 10%. Okay. I don't want to speak incorrectly, but... Um, I mean, that people would say is almost the majority of... Hopefully, it's not the majority of I think of it might profit. be more. I think it might have been around 20. So how are you justifying giving up almost 50% of your total profit? Well, I think it's it's a customer base we probably wouldn't have hit otherwise. Um, and it's just kind of a great idea. Where there's great people that are on the platform as well. So just to kind of be in that number with them is uh, in and of itself pretty I mean, there's awesome. Almost, I hear things like this, and that's a, nothing against the Table 22 guy because it's a brilliant idea. But at the same time, it's like what's stopping us from doing this ourselves? What's stopping us from leveraging the technology that's already fucking out there? It's yeah. there. And just creating these these models on our own I, yeah, and, I mean, say, and taking 100% of the fucking profit. I'd say just doing it. Physically <laughs> yeah, doing it. Just do it. Like, And I don't want to like ruin opportunity for people who are entrepreneurs creating solutions for meal plans. But at the same time, if there are, we don't pull our fucking head off our asses, we're not going to have our industry anymore. Yeah. You know, we just kind of let people kind of have their way. You're going to have another third party fucking situation here. Yeah. You know, like the technology is there. It's super frustrating. I mean, I was looking at it this morning before y'all showed up at, on our toast. Uh, our toast. Um, I don't want to call them out and talk shit about them, but our credit card processing fees. Yeah. So now that toast did implement, you can order or online ordering from home. Yeah. That fee is the same as if we keyed it in in the restaurant. Yeah. Which I don't know if you ever knew. Swiping the card is a is a lower set fee than it is if you had to manually enter in the numbers which kind of sounds ridiculous i think it might be a security thing okay but since they give the ability to order it online through their own platform i don't see why they should be taking the higher cut of the keyed in entry you know so you know wait, to me it doesn't make sense i, I would think it would be a lower fee to do it manually because it's they're almost providing a service to automate the process. Mm-hmm. So why wouldn't that be h- higher? Because they're they're saving you time. No, I don't. No it doesn't idea. make sense. I don't know, but we think about going toast. Let's talk about it. Come on the show. all the time. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think it ever work, but it'd be nice, right? Yeah, I don't know if the general public's moving in that direction. Mm-hmm. Uh, people are going to be paying it through their phone on everything yeah. pretty soon. But is that a different? Is that a different rate? Is a is a a Bluetooth Apple Pay. I think it has its own feed. rate. Um, I don't know if we're. I don't think we're doing that right now. I think we have the capability, but we haven't implemented it. Okay. Um. But yeah, it's things like that are super frustrating. Yeah. Cool. I've loved this conversation. Is there anything we have not discussed that you were hoping we would discuss that did not come out that you're kicking yourself for right now? You're looking at your notes right now. Look at, look at that pretty cursive handwriting, by the way. Wow. Yeah. You know. You like my this is my system. I carry this book <laughs> everywhere. Yeah. It's a uh so I use these these post-it notes. Each color they're all color coded, each one means wow. something different. <laughs> it's gotten nerdy. <laughs> this is this is mainly like my to do. Okay. These are people I need to call or companies I need to call or whatever. These are physical places I need to go, errands. And then if there's a blue post it on here, it means it's it's urgent. You better 
tackle it quick. That's that's good. That's a good system. What what's inside the binder? Like, is that just like your journal? Yeah, it's just drawing your deepest it's, darkest uh, secrets. Stick figures of uh, farm animals. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> Oh, man, I've loved today's conversation. If you have nothing else to talk about, um, but I don't want to cut you short. You didn't really answer the question. I don't want to cut you short. Uh, is there? You know, um, nothing comes to mind. I don't know. We've been, I feel like we've been all over the place. Yeah, but it's been a lot of fun. There's been a ton of value here. Um, I Hopefully think I helped. Oh, no no doubt, man. Helped your, uh, but, you know, there is something I should say. Um, maybe you don't get enough praise, but I think I think your podcast is, is pretty invaluable. Thank you. And it's something I wish I had. 10 years ago um, because kind of like what I was saying about mentorship. I mean, it's huge having that person like Neil or like so many others that'll answer the phone call. um, I think this, the podcast can be looked in the same light. I mean, you get, and for people starting out, you have some heavy hitters on here. I mean, Kevin Bam, Ken McGarry, all these, Neil, um, all these people that come through here and you get to listen to them and, as you pick their brain, you're pro- you're answering or you're asking questions similar to what we would be asking. I mean, I think it's it's invaluable. Thank I think you. it's incredible. Thank you. And I want to compound off that by saying I need help. Um, and you know what I mean by that is I think it could, I could do I could do better. And the way I know I could do better is by bringing my listeners into the conversation because you guys are living it every day. You are experiencing the pain every day. You have problems right now that you're dealing with. And if I know what your problems are, I can tackle them specifically, but I need to know core value. Number four, we communicate. Mm-hmm. Tell me where the pain is. Let me go to work for you because I'm chomping at the bit. I don't own a restaurant, you know? So I, I wish I did so I can better relate with my listeners. Mm-hmm. So help me out by, you know, opening the conversation, uh, reaching out to me, joining the network, and that would go so, so far. But thank you. Thank Absolutely. You for yeah. And we can put my email up there if anybody wants to follow up oh, on there, anything. There'll any be an questions. opportunity at the end for cool. you to share your contact information. All right. One more quick break to thank our sponsors. And we'll be right back. Today's episode is brought to you by Seven Shifts. Seven Shifts is a modern labor management platform designed by restaurateurs for restaurateurs. And effective labor management is more important than ever to ensure profitability and restaurant success, especially with this labor shortage. You need to rely and trust technology more than ever before. And dialing in your labor management is one of the most positive, dramatic impacts you can make on your business's bottom line. And when it comes to labor management, Seven Shifts is one of the most, if not the most, organically recommended labor management platforms on the show. Trusted by over 500,000 restaurant professionals, Seven Shifts gives you the complete toolkit you need to easily manage your team's schedules, timesheets, communication, tasks, tips, and more, all from one place. Best of all, Seven Shifts integrates with the POS and payroll system you're already using like toast to make smart operating decisions and turn labor management into a competitive advantage for your business. Restaurant Unstoppable members get three months absolutely free. Get started at www.7shifts.com slash unstoppable. That's the number seven S H I F T S dot com slash unstoppable to get three months of industry leading labor management for free. 
Today's episode is brought to you by Talk to the Manager. Look, nowadays people rather send you a text message than speak to you directly face to face. That's just the way people choose to communicate and there's not much we can do about it or is there? Talk to the Manager allows guests to share feedback or ask questions in a way that makes them feel comfortable and is also convenient to you. Don't worry about personal information being shared. Customers won't see your personal phone number, just the number that Talk to the Manager provides. You can even delegate customer feedback and divide the workload amongst your managers. Multiple managers can receive these texts. When one manager replies to a customer, the other staff will see their responses too. What I personally love most about Talk to the Manager is that you can fix issues immediately in private before complaints go public online. Many times when people do write a negative review, it's because they just want to be heard. And Talk to the Manager gives them that outlet to be heard before they bring it publicly and drag your name through the mud. Plus, with Talk to the Manager, get issues brought to your attention, whether it's an issue with your restaurant's service, product, or facility. Your guests will let you know whether you want to hear it or not, but this will help you improve. Using Talk to the Manager is so intuitive that no technology is required. If you can send a text message, you can use Talk to the Manager. Show guests you care enough to listen with Talk to the Manager. Head to talktothemanager.com slash unstoppable to sign up for your 60-day trial. That's www.talktothemanager.com slash unstoppable. We're back, and we have a speed round for you. Are you ready for it? Not prepared. (laughs) You'll be fine, man. Uh, The first question I have for you is, what is your it factor? A habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success probably reaching out to people and always adapting what is your biggest weakness Mm. um juggling too much at once what is one question you ask or thing you look for during the interview process Mm. that's a good one couldn't say anything specific you know i kind of let the conversation Take its own course. Yeah. The next question I have for you Stump is: me. The next question I have for you is: Will I get a blue oak hat at the end of this interview? Yes, I worked that one in there because I'm going to get this this sweaty okay. uh, used one. <laughs> nice. Uh, what is your biggest challenge today? Um, probably making the right decisions for the team. How are you overcoming that challenge? Feedback. Um, bringing them on board. Share one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team. So this is a way to be a core value, a, a, a way to act. Uh, respect. What is respect? Um, walking in the building and always never you, you never know what anybody else is going through. Um, just always always being open to to other people's. Whatever it might be. Yeah. Yeah. What is one uncommon standard of service you teach your team? So something that's common within the four walls of your restaurant, but not common throughout the industry to go above and beyond for the guests. Um, I think there's maybe the misconception that the customer is always right, Mm. but still put a smile on your face. (laughs) Nod. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) What is one book that's a must read that makes a better person or restaurant owner? Ooh. I should have known this one was coming. Um, 
the mo- I'll say this: the most recent one I read that gave me a lot of motivation was a book by David Goggins, unrelated to the restaurant industry, because I, I think you probably get a lot of them yeah. that are re- related. Uh, it's called "Can't Hurt Me." What's it about? What's one takeaway from that book? It's just it's tr- pure drive, um, working through adversity, always pushing forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you do that? What's it like? Do they teach you how to do that? Is there like a? It's this guy's story. Okay. He used to be a he was a Navy SEAL. Um, he's a, he's just a really tough dude. Got Been it. through a lot. Got it. What what is one thing you feel restaurant tourists don't do well enough or often enough? Um, communicate maybe. Name one service you've hired or outsourced. So this isn't a technology. This is a, a something that some people do that you can't do better yourself. So you outsource for it. Um, accounting, hundred percent. Who's your accountant? His name is Tim. <laughs> Tim Bodier. <laughs> do you, do you he's know a local the, guy? Does he have a, a business that he works for? Uh, he's got his own company. Do you know DTS. The name? DTS. A little love there for DTS you, Tim. Tax. Hopefully, you get some new clients lined up. Yeah. Hopefully, you're taking new clients. Uh, name one piece of technology you've recently adopted that's had a huge impact on communication, profitability, efficiencies, anything along those lines. Definitely Slack. Ooh, Slack. When did you guys Slack's start using huge. Slack? Probably maybe a year and a half ago. Yeah. It helps us. Obviously, anybody can be on it, mm-hmm. and we can create so many different channels, front of house, back of house, end of night logs, You know, the pit. Um, so everybody's just on the same page at all times. How often do you use it? Uh, every daily few minutes. Yeah. I mean, so that's, that's good advice going down that, that vein of you have a channel for back of house. You have Mm -hmm. a channel for front of house. What are the different channels you have? Yeah. Um, purchasing, I can grab up. Yeah. Go through it. Grab the phone and look, there's a purchasing channel back of house end of day, front of house. Let me see here. Um, customer issues and then there's you know just a catering one managers bar um there's a calendar on here so we can all stay on the same page um ordering merch payroll refunds is a good one yeah so a lot of times somebody might come into the restaurant or make a phone call even kind of similar vein to lost and found yeah so everybody can be on the same page hey so-and-so is coming in today because i'm not going to be there tomorrow i'm letting you know yeah awesome So anybody can take care of and you of, said is that it keep going if you have more hmm. social media which is a good one um we share pictures so for instance like our bar manager comes up with a new cocktail um and she can take a fancy photo put it on here let everybody know what it is the price the ingredients etc um we do specials every day. So like the menu one, menu updates is a good one. Every morning manager puts the specials of the day on there. Ingredients, allergies, pricing, everything you need to know pretty much. Nice. Awesome. And I love that you use that for your, your, your log to your end of the ship log, mm-hmm. which is good. Uh, this is the last question. Are uh-huh. you ready for it? Okay. <laughs> If you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the work of you, or sorry, all the members of you, your work and your restaurant would be lost with your departure with the uh, exception of three pieces of wisdom that you could leave behind for the good of humanity and for your legacy. What would those three pieces of wisdom be? Mm. Work hard. Respect to others. 
and be yourself. I love it, man. Um, you've been great. I've really enjoyed this conversation. Uh, we wrap nice, up man. by uh, having you call somebody else. So who do you respect and admire and believe would be a great guest on the show? I, know, I already know the answer. But it's got to be Neil. Neil <laughs> yeah. Bodenheimer. And he's uh, on deck. He's uh, We're in his restaurant here right now. And he's going to be joining us very shortly, and I'm very excited for that. And we're actually going to be talking to your partner, Ronnie, as well. And it's going to be really hard for me not, not to know too much. I'm going to try to go into that conversation with a blank slate and like as ignorant as possible mm-hmm. to see his perspective. But it's going to be a lot of fun, man. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, it's been a lot, of bl- a lot of fun. It's been a blast to connect with you, to share your story, to make an example of you. There is no questioning. You are unstoppable. Thanks, man. Boom. Thanks for coming to NOLA. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Cheers. There's another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Special thanks to our guest today, Philip Mosley. And uh, we got Ronnie Evans coming next week, Monday next week, and it's going to be just as good. Uh, These guys are an inspiration, and um, I have to say thank you. It won't be the last time I say thank you to these two dudes for uh, just being so generous with your networks, uh, being such great host while I was in town. Uh, it, w- it was great. It was really great getting to know you guys. And uh, I'm, I'm just excited to watch your growth. Uh, I know this is just the beginning of our relationship. So keep up the great work, guys. Uh, so lots of cool things happening in the network. But a quick reminder that if you guys are in the need for a restaurant website, if you're just getting started or if you want to make the switch, I highly recommend Bento Box. And if you head over to the show notes, restaurantstoppable.com slash 866, we'll have a link in the show notes for you to set up a demo with Bento Box and you can save up to 100% off installation. That's some that's some good savings, guys. Don't miss this opportunity. Uh, so other things that I want to make sure you guys know about. Uh, the goal of Restaurant Unstoppable has always been to inspire, empower, and transform the industry. And the the thought process is if I'm able to inspire, empower, and transform others, I'll do the same for myself and create opportunity for myself. And the goal was always to open my own restaurant with these lessons learned. But now I'm starting to get to the point where this could be a reality, where I, I'm coming across the resources where people are interested in working with me and I want to do some shit. And I want to see who else is out there who's listening to this who might want to be a part of it. So if you've been a fan of Restaurant Unstoppable, if you believe in what I'm trying to do uh, and you want to work together and you're in the Seacoast, New Hampshire area or just New New England in general, shoot me an email or anywhere, really. You can be anywhere in the world. Shoot me an email, eric at restaurantunstoppable.com if you want to be a part of whatever it is we end up building. Uh, but I know I need to start the dialogue. I need to start seeing what kind of interest is out there. Uh, so I'm looking to build a team. I can't do this alone. And if you're interested, email me again, Eric at restaurantstoppable.com. And uh, man, this is getting real. I'm putting it out there. You got to manifest that destiny. Also, I got to let you know, we have two events this week in the network. We have Critter Control with Lori Joe Jensen. Uh, we're going to be talking about how to control things like uh, cockroaches, rodents, flies. And we also have a peer mentoring session with Peter Wynn from Bomby Boys. His episode was live a couple weeks ago. If you enjoyed his episode and you want to connect with him, be sure to join us live in the network. That's going to be Tuesday, February 22nd at 3 p.m. All right, that's it for today. Until next time, peace out.